The Owls AmeriCast is sponsored by Sheffield Wednesday's iFollow live match streaming service, which has just extended its early bird offer till the 12th of August. Get a full season pass for $140 at swfc.co.uk slash iFollow. We're off to a running start in the 2019-2020 season, although no one told Reading fans that. On the Owls AmeriCast, Sheffield Wednesday Opinion with an American Accent. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and this week I am drinking a Strawberry Fields from Powder Hollow Brewery in Hazardville, Connecticut. So fairly local, about 20 minutes from my house. It is a strawberry pale ale. It's not a sour, it's not particularly a sweet fruit beer. It's actually quite nice and dry, although you get a little bit of the of the strawberry in it. And I think a little appropriate this week because God knows the Wednesday fan in recent years living has been easier with your eyes closed. But you don't have to have been as on as much acid as Lennon and McCarthy were when they were writing Sgt. Pepper to feel a little bit optimistic with 146th of the championship season already in the books. Also on the line this week in his closet in New York is James Allen. James, what are you drinking? Hey, Jeff. Um, well, I guess you know how hard we work to try and make sure our beers match our mood, right? So uh, I'm drinking a Sonic Architecture from uh, Fifth Hammer. It's a New England IPA. Um, but it's part of their um, Wave series. This is Wave 3. Um, and I guess it's kind of synonymous with the fact that we seem to be in Wave 3 of the the Del Chancery revolution with a totally different approach to a transfer window to discuss today. So, um, yeah, following the uh, the waves of joy that is following Wednesday. And I would bet with a totally different approach to what he's drinking in Ohio, it's our Ohio owl, Evan Skelter. Evan, what are you drinking? Well, tonight I'm uh, drinking... One of many Yingling lagers that I have uh, sitting around the house. So I have not, uh, a, not a new wave for you at all. No, not not a new wave. It's in fact the oldest craft brewery in America. At least that's what they tout themselves as. And um, I say surplus because I went to a wedding recently where my wife was the uh, the matron of honor, and somehow they had so much leftover beer that I ended up bringing home. And I'm not going to do the math, but I had over 200 beers that I brought home in my car that night uh, that I've been slowly working through in the last few weeks. Somehow they had leftover beer. So you stole a bunch of beers is what you're saying. I didn't steal. They, they gave it to me. Right. I, I did not steal it. And that couple comes over all the time and drinks it. So it's yeah, not like enough, they yeah. want it back. They, you're really yeah, just storing it for them. In my belly. And said at the outset, we are off and running with a nice three points in the books at Reading. We'll also discuss a fairly busy transfer window that slammed shut earlier today. We'll also update you on all the usual Wednesday news and preview the home opener at Fortress Hillsborough against Barnsley on Saturday. We will start with the Reading match, and we're changing the format a little bit this year so we don't get quite so bogged down in the minutia of the match. I will give you the match report in a segment we'll call 90 Minutes and 90 Seconds. And then everyone on the line will talk about their one takeaway or the one talking point they want to discuss from the match. So here you go. Wednesday 3, Reading 1. I predicted a boring match last week, and it was anything but. Wednesday were good for a 1-0 lead at the break as new signing Kadeem Harris mauled the right flank of Reading's defense for 90 minutes. A nice pass over the top from Liam Palmer, some strength and pace from the new winger, and a lovely finish in the bottom corner made Wednesday deserving leaders despite having a probably fair handball shout done the other end a few minutes before the breakthrough. The second half was typical Wednesday, a let-off, some ball-watching, a looping header, 1-1. But Wednesday responded well down the other end, another tricky run from Harris led to a corner and a bullet header from Sam Hutchinson? Yeah, Sam Hutchinson. And Wednesday's lead was reestablished. They came close to a third before some ponderous defensive positioning, shock of shocks, and poor communication between Westwood and Odebajo led to a crunching tackle and a deserved red card for the Wednesday keeper at the edge of his own area. Dawson came on, the wall did its job, as did Dawson on the follow-up. And then Wednesday was set to see out a nervy last 15 or so down a man. I believe uh, one of the great... Wednesday podcast statesman would have called this uh, squeaky bum time. 
sub and now former Wednesday at Lucas Joao was immense as a target man down the stretch, though, and his hold-up play would have seen the game off on its own, but he added an absolutely spectacular goal on the turn in the 97th minute. It's a beautiful coda to his Wednesday, Wednesday tenure, capping a shaky at times, but overall encouraging 3-1 win. And yes, Wednesday are only second in the league table because of the vagaries of the alphabet, although I would note that they'd be first if Leeds used their formal name, the Dirty Leeds FC. So that's the match. Evan, you want to talk about the lineup? I do. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised by how we lined up. Um, now, I didn't pay too much attention to some of the matches leading up, some of the preseason uh, friendlies. So I uh, wasn't quite sure how we'd line up, but the 4-3-3, um, I think is great. And I think we further strengthen that with some of the moves we made earlier today, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. But um, I think the only point of contention was how to pronounce Odebajo's name. Um, you know, past that, I-, I loved having those three midfielders reached on the right uh, up top as a right winger. It was kind of, um, uh, you know, I think we, I think we'll fix that. Uh, I think he's okay there, but better in the midfield. And then obviously Kadeem Harris on the left, uh, able to feed in. Um, you know, Fletcher, it was just, I, I thought it was fantastic. Um, I thought, I thought, I think Harris is the, the perfect player to, to play that left wing position with guys like Fletcher crashing and, and Bannon and uh, Reach and maybe Kieran Lee on the edge of the box. And uh, we've strengthened the right side with uh, a signing today. So i uh, very, very big fan of that 4-3-3. I was a little, uh, not concerned, but a little confused they didn't start. It seemed the roster at the time and they've they've tweaked some things at the end of the window but it's set up a little better for a 4231 uh, especially i think because reach was a little isolated playing that far up on the right it's not something he's particularly comfortable with and he's not really a ideal midfielder in a 433 either so he's kind of a kind of a man without a without a position so i'm curious to see how bolin tweaks it you know, in the in the coming weeks, with with you know, sort of integrating the new signings and maybe moving the formation around a little bit. Um, James, you were there live. What did you think of sort of the very continental four three three setup? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you both nailed it. Actually, I thought the you know the setup was probably exactly the right setup for this game for the for the squad that we had going in, and and you know, frankly for for the form that we'd had in preseason, it, it kind of felt natural. It felt balanced. Um, you know, Fletcher picks himself at the moment uh, amongst our previously bloated strike force, slightly less bloated today. Um, but I completely agree with you, Jeff, that the, you know, the probably the, there were probably two drawbacks and they were both on the right hand side. Um, so, you know, reach as a wide right man, that doesn't really work for me. And it, it, would kind of, it was telling because he was drifting inside, you know, a lot of the first half. You know, we had, we had a really good view straight down the, the right wing and he, he very rarely got out there to the, uh, to the sideline the same way that Harris was doing to kind of create the space to stretch the Reading defense. Um, and I've got to say, Odebajo didn't exactly have uh, an absolutely glowing first competitive game in Wednesday Colors. He, uh, he he got himself dragged out of position, probably you know uh, too much for a defen- defensive-minded player for my liking. Um, certainly pulled into the centre when Wednesday were pressed up a little bit too much. But you know what? We've got we've got some options there. You know, we've got Orford to come back in once he's uh, passed his suspension. We've now, you know, we're going to talk about Jacob Murphy a little bit later on in the conversation. So, it's good to see that competition for places coming in. I don't know if we stick with a four three three permanently, and I kind of agree with you. There's a time when we drop fluidly into a, a four two three one uh, with um, with Kieran Lee pushing up and with obviously Fletch as the uh, as the target man. But look, we've got flexibility. We didn't have tactical flexibility this time twelve months ago, and we appear to have it now. And that's um, that's testament to the way the squad has been reshaping it's also a testament to the way that Bullen's managing the team as well and we certainly showed flexibility throughout the game and we'll, we'll come on to that yeah I mean again you pointed out with Odebajo and the one thing that's not going to be flexible is for at the back and like I don't know the back line would worry me a little bit um yeah I thought Julian Borner had a pretty good first game in the stripes I mean, he was, seems to know he's positionally aware he passes pretty well um you know is he the long-term partner for Lees? Is it David Bates, who's right-footed, and Borner's left-footed? Um, you know, we'll see how that shakes out in the coming weeks. We haven't even mentioned Jordan Thornley, who you know was excellent during his tenure at the back last season. So again, it's it's 
I won't say an embarrassment of riches by any means, but there's just depth. There's depth positionally that they just haven't had, especially sort of down the spine in the last few seasons. Yep, there's reason to be concerned about the fullbacks. Liam Palmer is still somehow playing left back, um, and I don't think he didn't think he acquitted his, himself well, although he looked quite uh, spry going forward at times, and of course had a nice the nice little sort of chip pass to set up the first goal. But uh, you know, I think the most uh, impressive thing, and I touched on this in the recap, and James, you want to expand on it, it further is. You know, the team's response to their inevitable ball watching let off at the back that equalized. Yeah, no, absolutely, Joe. <laughs> um, so I'm going to kind of rewind to about uh, 3.45 on Saturday afternoon in, in the UK. So I was at the Majeski Stadium putting a few tweets out, uh, basically saying at halftime, you know, don't get too carried away, folks. We might be 1-0 up, but it's not exactly a majestic performance from Wednesday at the Majeski. Um, sorry for the uh, the crap pun. Um and uh, and somebody, uh, certain Jeff Patronosto, accused me of not being being particularly optimistic. Well, you know, lo and behold, five minutes into the second half, the uh, the old Wednesday rearguard reared its head, and or rather didn't didn't clear its lines, and uh, and it's one one with a, a looping header from a, a pretty soft position on the you know the edge of the Wednesday box. To be honest, what was brilliant beyond that though, and this is the the talking point I wanted to focus on, is is just the way the Wednesday squad responded, and we saw it again later in the game. Um, you know, within a minute, we're surging back down the field. Um, I think it's a, you know, it's another kind of high press from uh, from Kadeen Harris, pulls it back. Fletcher cannoning onto the back of it, forces a really good save, which brings about the corner. From the corner, um, Sam Hutchinson works his way through the zonal marking and gets an absolute bullet header, not dissimilar to the goal that he scored at Brentford a couple of years ago and the uh, much, much later in the game to, uh, to rescue a point. But it was just a really great, characterful response from the Wednesday squad. They didn't take the knockback sitting, you know, low. They didn't kind of let their heads drop. They, you know, they went straight back to the, the game plan and they, they executed perfectly. And then we saw the same thing again after the sending off, you know, a man down Reading, you could say should have had their tails up, but they certainly weren't ruled on by a crowd because most people had buggered off to, uh, to watch the rowing or something by then. Um, and, uh, and it was, again, it was Wednesday that actually picked up the initiative. And, and when Zhao came on, it really looked Wednesday looked, looked pretty comfortable until they, they clinched that last minute winner. So I'm just pleased with the mental strength that this squad showed in that first game. Um, it's not something we've necessarily associated with Wednesday in recent seasons. And, and that's another reason for a little bit of optimism, I think. Well, and look, a, a lot of that has to do with the experience that we had on the field. You know, we, we've got it. Yeah, we give up a goal and it's not like we have Cameron Dawson and, and Jordan Thornley in the back young, probably a little rattled by that you know we had experience tom lees was there hutch was back in we had kieran lee i mean these guys are are guys that have been through this grind for a long time and i think we missed not only their their skill but but just their leadership their poise and and their calmness uh so much in these last few seasons due to injury or, or not being selected um and and that's something we touched on earlier uh, a couple pods ago is uh, how excited we were to have the experience back rather than just skill. And, um, you know, I think you, you made a great point. And I think, like I said, a lot of that is is that experience. Yeah, experience and I think togetherness as well. And I, Forgive me because I can't remember exactly who it was that said it in the post-match interview. I, I want to say it was Hutch. Um, but it was essentially that the message was, you know, the togetherness in this squad is back. Reasons for why it wasn't there, you know, we can go 12 months back to the Oss era and otherwise it, it definitely degraded and, you know, there were kind of schisms in the dressing room. But when the players are saying that, and you can see it, there was a real warmth and a kind of togetherness about them. Um, that bodes well for, for at least a season where you've got a chance. You know, let's not overestimate it, as I said right at the outset of this, this you know, talking point. I don't think it was a vintage Wednesday performance. Um, but it, it showed the right signs for a, a season where we're going to have a squad that's going to push together towards something and, and has a bit of resilience about it. I thought, James, you were going to mention the other Hutch quote where he said, I didn't get to score a lot of goals because the manager didn't pick me last year. <laughs> yeah, also entirely justifiable. Um, and I'm still kicking myself about the fact that we didn't actually ask Yoss about that when Paul and I bumped into him at the uh, the San Paoli Cosmos game earlier in the uh, in the summer. But there we go. Missed opportunity. We'll get there next time. I want to sort of point to a different post-game quote, and that's uh, Lee Bullens, where he basically said, this team will play better this year and lose. And I think that's, you know, 
very Scottish of him for starters, and also trying to sort of keep expectations low. But it's a valid point. You know, this these are the kind of games that, you know, a year ago or two years ago, you would have expected them to concede in the 88th minute down a man, and then you'd just be, you know, praying for a 2-2 draw. You know, they uh, lost a similar game in Bowen's last tenure uh, over the holiday break. Or not lost, but they I think they drew as it was in Middlesbrough. They drew while they were up a man, uh, 1-0. So it's they, but they defended well. You know, I thought Zhao was immense as uh, his hold-up play and his ability to win. You know, throw-ins and and free kicks down the line just sort of kill the game off even before the you know the spectacular goal. It was just a very, you know, yes, they've had some mistakes at the back. Yes, you can still be concerned about the back line, but it was a professional performance. And in the end, a comfortable win. And that's, I think, all you can really ask for. And, you know, we have nothing to gauge this against yet. We might not for a few weeks, um, given the, I would say the soft early schedule. Barnsley did beat Fulham 1-0 last weekend because it is the championship and these are things that happen all the time. But I thought overall, you know, it was a, if not a comprehensive performance, an encouraging one. So my talking point was going to be the post-match photo of Sam Hutchinson's abs that was going around on Twitter with his shirt off because they're amazing abs. Uh, but instead, I'm going to look at it, look towards a, another amazing performance. That was Kadeem Harris's. Um, while it was not a comprehensive Wednesday performance, that's about as comprehensive a game as I've seen from a, a winger in Wednesday colors really since Michael Antonio. Um, you know, it's a similar kind of, you know, cliched combination of of power and pace, but it's he's just like they have not had a player like that. We've watched George Boyd play in that position in recent years. Um, you know, Marco Matias, who's a you know, a different a very different kind of winger, uh, in a lot of ways. They have not had like I don't want to say proper British, because that's kind of another cliche, but he just is very direct. Like, yeah, he can do a step over. He can beat his man, but he is going to move. He's going to, you know, get the pass down the channel, maybe ten yards in the opposing half, and he's just going to drive to the byline. He's going to either cut inside or or cut it back, and you know, maybe win a corner at the post, or you know, play in a a runner like Kieran Lee or Stephen Fletcher or Adam Reach, and it's just weird you even when Wednesday were good in recent years sort of the the first two years of the Carlos era that wasn't a style of of football they played it's not you know blood and thunder per se James but it's it's very uh refreshing I guess no completely so I, I thought Harris was terrific um you know everything that I think people had kind of been getting excited about in preseason um and you've got to I'm going to, again, tee up a point that we're going to talk about in a second when we talk about the window overall, but you've got to give our recruitment team real credit for the Whoever fact that you know, we've, picked this, we've picked this guy up on a free, you know, he was at Cardiff, uh, he's a known entity, but he's he is different to anything we've, we've had in the last couple of years, Jeff. And I want to kind of maybe contradict something you said before, which is, you know, I don't think he is the the classic kind of, you know, British kind of fast winger, head down, head to the byline, cut it back. What I really like about him is his positional discipline and the way that he stretches the game. If you look at him, he, you know, he'll, he'll make the, the darting run to try and pull the midfield, but he also is willing to cut inside. You know, he'll he'll try and move the defence around. You know, not dissimilar to Stephen Fletcher, the way that there's an intelligent sense of movement to try and disrupt the opposition defence. Um, he cut back, you know, supported in defensive capacity really nicely as well in kind of that deep left position. Um he just looks like a really well-balanced player that gives us a much higher press and a much more um, significant outlet on the left. And I think, um, you know, our friend Peter Lohman put a, a heat map out of just our average positional discipline this year against Reading versus last year when we played them, you know, maybe in September, October time, reasonably early in the season. Jao scored a brace, I think, that day. Um you know, the uh, well, actually it was Reach and, and Jail thinking back, but the, the point was that, you know, the entire team was about 10 yards further forward 
last Saturday. And that, you know, that's actually testament to the fact you've got a player like Harris on the pitch who is making the Reading defence recognise they can't step up so far. They've got to watch out for his pace. They've got to watch out for his movement. So he, he just gave us a different dimension. Yeah, and you touched on it, but to add to that, the, the thing I noticed most was was how active he was away from the ball. Um, and, and on iFollow, you don't get to see that often, right? It's always focused on the ball, but... Uh, when you could see glimpses of, of him, just he, he was never standing around uh, when he was in the frame. He, he was always moving, and, and he's the kind of guy that, that he's going to make defenses worry. He's going to wear on him, um, not just physically, but mentally. And don't be surprised if at some point um, we get a guy in behind the defense only because they were they were focused on uh, on our, our left winger without the ball. Uh, and it's it's really exciting. Hopefully he can keep that up. You know, it's a long season, and it was his debut, so I'm sure um, he was amped up and, and excited. But um, if, if he can continue that work rate, he's he's going to be a pain for uh, the opposition. I mean, it doesn't seem out of character with what Cardiff City fans were saying when he came in, and they were they were not happy to lose him, which is usually a good sign in all non almond empty cases. Uh, I do want to circle back briefly before we move on to a point that James made sort of about his, uh, you know, his pressing from the front and his, his defensive awareness, like Redding looked really poor playing out from the back. And I don't know if it's a chicken or an egg thing, and they might just be really poor playing out from the back. So a lot of championship teams are, you know, Sheffield Wednesday circa this time last year, certainly. But I, I think Harris's ability to press from the front uh, you know, made it probably look worse than it would have been otherwise when it probably still would have been bad because too many. But if championship team, that's like the modus operandi now. And if more championship teams are going to try to play like that, Harris is, uh, Harris's work rate and his ability to press from the front and defend from the front, I think it's sort of going to be a, a secret weapon for Wednesday this season. It's, it's absolutely true, Jeff. But I, I think you also need to look at the uh, the contrast, well, the, the risk that that has, which is that when he's not on the field, you you suddenly notice the difference uh, that Wednesday weren't able to execute that same high press and and maybe kind of um, you know give themselves that early early line of defense. So we noted when he came off for Forestieri, which by the way was about five minutes before the red card. I think when uh, when Westwood came racing out, immediately we lost positional discipline on the left. You know, Forestieri was cutting inside. He was kind of he was drifting as as he's wont to do. You know, that's his his kind of free radical role. But as soon as you had that, you started to see Reading, you know, making more uh, more of the, the right back, right midfield position, playing, you know, cross field balls from a slightly uh, more advanced uh, position on the pitch. And it was actually a ball like that over the top that caught us out when Westwood came rushing out and uh, had his equally poorly timed rush of blood to the head. Or you could say a very well well timed if you think he was taking one for the team to uh, to deny a certain goal. But it's just something to watch out for because if the left wing position is going to be Harris's to own with Forestieri as backup, luxurious position to be in, we've just got to be, Wednesday need to be tactically aware that Forestieri does not do the same in terms of that kind of defensive role from the front that Harris offered. Well, the squad will be reshaped before we head to Barnsley this weekend after a fairly active transfer window. I guess we should start with the goings out as the long rumored move on for Lucas Joao happened. He is heading to Reading for an undisclosed fee, but rumored to be somewhere between five to seven million. I hope the uh, seven million end came about because of that lovely goal that he finished with. How do we sum up the Lucas Joao tenure at Sheffield Wednesday, Evan? It's a tough question. I think you... uh, the short answer is uh, underperforming. Uh, you know, he never reached his potential. We saw, I think we saw what he was capable of. People have been talking about it all year. The Arsenal match, um, uh, an incredibly confident, uh, gifted, threatening forward that we saw against a, a pretty good Arsenal side. That, if if I recall correctly, um, it was mostly first teamers that day. And um, you know, I think we all saw that and thought, my goodness, we have found gold. And he just, he never lived up to it. And it, I, I'll remember him fondly. You know, it's, he's never been a player that everyone, that, that people don't or have disliked or have slagged off 
on social media. He's just not been the player that we expected him to be. Um, yeah. Yeah, the funny thing is, he, you know, he came in as sort of the first of the Carlos signings. You know, he's in that sort of first wave of of players. It's sort of like, oh, we're signing a like young sort of youth team Portuguese striker. Like, that's cool. Like, we never do that. Um, you know, and it, I know he's seen as sort of like a disappointment, but his goal scoring record for the team isn't that much worse than uh, Stephen Fletcher's. You know, he had 10 goals and 32 appearances last year. A lot of those were uh, sub appearances, nine and 34 the year before that. It's just, I mean, I know what you mean. It, it, it wasn't even so much that the, the overall sort of top line stats look bad. It was more that you just, there were games where I don't even think it was necessarily, you didn't think he was, working hard although there were were times like that it was just like he would just try to do too much i think patty like sort of memorably said like it doesn't look like his sort of legs know where they're going at any given time like the defenders don't know where the legs are going either but neither does joao and that was sort of that could be a problem you know he certainly had spurts you know the arsenal game was i think sort of in the middle of a of a huge run he had that first season he had a nice run of goals last season i think we probably, you know, in 2015, 2016, I'll imagine that he'd end up leaving for like 15 million to go to Everton or, or West Ham or something like that, James. But in the end, it's, you know, 6 million or thereabouts to Reading. Yeah, which probably pretty much sums up the fact that we've had him for four years and he, he never quite hit the high notes that, that would have got him the Premier League move or the move back to Europe for, for really big money. But I mean, just a sidebar. You know, kudos to Wednesday. We've we've taken a player that we signed for about three million and we've turned them into a six million uh, striker. So that's a little bit of progression. That's that's a that's a, a step in the right direction in terms of our ability to convert value. Um, from what I understand, we've put I think a twenty percent sell-on clause in as well, which means you know if he really does make the grade at Reading and and gets that big money move, then uh, then Wednesday get a slice of the action. So there's you know there's more yield there for for Wednesday in the future. I think kind of circling back to the point that you were making, Evan. The, the, the reason why people feel a sense of disappointment with Lucas Schwau is not for his contribution. It, you look at what he's delivered over four years and we've had some pretty magical moments, right? It's the fact that I think everybody knows that somewhere within him is a is the mythical 20 goal a season striker. The kind of the, you know, the real kind of, you know, big target man who is also agile, who can score goals from outside the box, who gets on the end of, you know, fleet flowing attacks the guy who opposition defences just don't want to play against. And yet he's never really delivered that outside of, you know, the odd 20, 30 minute spell in, in a game. Um, certainly not kind of consistently through an arc of a season. And and that's his challenge. You know, if, if he can do that now in a new environment at Reading and um, who's to say that isn't the right environment with the right manager, the right squad around him. You know, they've, they've done a lot just since the weekend, but they look like a relegation side on Saturday. So, um so I hope he's uh, he's had assurances as to to the you know the people he's going to be surrounded with because I think we all wanted him to be that player at Hillsborough, but if you look at it on raw economics, he was a substitute who didn't get a lot of game time, who we've managed to make a uh, you know a healthy profit on and and release capital that we I think deployed really well elsewhere in the squad. And that capital primarily went to Massimo Luongo a central midfielder from QPR. Um, he's an interesting one, Australian national. Um, another one is going to be out of contract next summer. So Wednesday got a, got a pretty good price for a player that by all accounts can cover both Kieran Lee and Sam Hutchinson spot, James. Look, um, Kieran Lee and Sam Hutchinson both hold a very special place in our hearts. And not I don't the, think anybody not the wants fittest to be duo in the world. No, not necessarily the most consistently healthy and on the pitch duo, but um, he, he's going to have to go a long way to uh, to kind of you know win the hearts of the fan base in quite the same way as those two guys. But but again, you know, 
look, I, I've got to be honest, I don't know a huge amount about the guy apart from what I've really read on uh, on social media today and the videos that uh, our new king of socials, Chris Robinson, has been posting. Um, he certainly looks like a, a ball player, which I think is, is tremendous. Um, but there is no doubt that we were a little bit lightweight in centre midfield. You know, it, when your your backup to your midfield access is Joey Pelopesi, which jury's still out um, as to whether he's going to have a long-term impact. Is it, is it really still out, James? <laughs> okay, probably not still out. It's a good signing, right? You're buying someone who, you know, the rest of the division was paying attention to. And, um, you know, even as, if he doesn't start immediately, he adds a lot of depth to our bench. Um, but I'd like to think that, you know, soon he's pressing and and he gives us some some really good different options. So I'm looking forward to learning about him. I've got to be honest, I just don't know enough about him at this stage to, to kind of be certain as to, to the impact he's going to have. I spent some time looking at videos. Um, and of course, when you when you see videos on on YouTube of different players, they're, they're highlights. They're the best uh, best moments. You're not going to see many that are um, many poor performances. But, you know, based on based on what I saw, probably five to seven minutes of, of footage, he kind of seems like just um, so if you have three steps and Joey Pelopesi is on the first and Sam Hutchinson's on the, the third, uh, Luongo's kind of right there on, on the second step. He, he's not he's definitely not coming in to take the, the place of Kieran Lee or Sam Hutchinson, but just like Jeff said, um, you know, he's he can threaten at times but he's definitely a solid player, a lot of experience. Uh, he'll make good passes. He'll complete a lot of passes and move the ball through the midfield. Um, he's not going to scare any defenders by any means. Um, but but he'll be. I think he'll be a solid player for us. I just I, I don't see him cracking the the starting lineup very often. Yeah, but just to be uh, you know to to kind of drift off the the detail and the se- severeness of of this assessment for a second, he is possibly our first bona fide Aussie owl. Mm. <laughs> well don't tell our mascot that james doing terrible puns again for some reason <laughs> so moving on a couple loanees coming in as well uh david bates central defender from hamburg he is not german he's very scottish uh, and jacob murphy from newcastle united a another winger so with those two players coming in James, how do we reshape our starting eleven? Um, well, look, I'm I'm going to come back to masturbates in just a minute, but um, sorry, I can't help that. I you saw can't say that while you, you can't say just, that while you're sitting in a closet and we can see the video. It's just it's just impossible. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, listen, serious point. I am super excited about Jacob Murphy. Like this, this is a signing I did not see coming 24 hours ago, and who I think. Um, I don't know, maybe I'm going to have to say something which I couldn't believe I was going to say a month ago, but I think our friend Steve Bruce may have done us a favor, or our not-so-friendly friend Steve Bruce. Because I, mean, I, w- I was just going to suggest that someone had the common sense to leave Newcastle and come to Sheffield Wednesday. <laughs> that, that also works, Jeff. But Jacob Murphy, um, you know, this is a guy who was playing out of his skin at Norwich uh, about 18 months ago. You know, um, this was not, you know, the, not the Norwich that got promoted winning the championship last season but the Norwich that wasn't you know anywhere near as good in the transition year um the the year before but Jacob Murphy uh, alongside James Madison was you know was top talent in that squad and was sacrificed because they needed to balance the books um as they readjusted to life in the championship he went I think for 10 million to Newcastle um but he was you know really tearing up the championship in terms of of some of his form um you know very tricky right winger, uh, cuts inside, you know, got a lot of pace, got a, a lot of uh, trickery to him. And I think, you know, what, going back to the conversation we were having about Kadeem Harris, he, he hopefully offers exactly what we saw on the left from Harris on the right. Um, very different proposition to an Adam Reach, for example. So uh, a really, really positive signing from Wednesday. Um, by all accounts, we had to, you know, fight off competition from Middlesbrough, from Derby, from Huddersfield, you know say what you will about those clubs but they've all got some money to throw around they're all expecting to be at the top end of the championship so we've done really well to get him and i think he's he's going to be an excellent uh signing for us for a season long loan um david bates to give him his proper name I, i've got to be honest you know here's someone who has come completely out of left field uh been playing at hamburg he was previously at rangers 
Um, looks like a really solid centre-back, right-footed, you know, complements Borna um, nicely. Um, has got a very impressive tattoo sleeve, which I think is the first <laughs> thing that you noticed, Jeff. He was. Um, and a shock of ginger hair. So, you know, maybe he's, um, he's your archetypal Scott slash... Um, um, well, no, just a Scott is probably the best way I'll put it. So maybe he'll get on well with Lee Dolan. Who knows? But um, he's not Michael Hector, that's for sure. He is not, Evan. So what do we make? It sounds like Michael Hector is going to move to Fulham in January. You know, his his asking price was essentially reported to be what Xiao went out for. Are you a little disappointed that Hector didn't come in in the window? I'm disappointed, but I'm also... Um... I'm really happy with Chancery and whoever else was uh, maybe advising him in the, this the mystery situation. transfer transfer yeah. squad. Yeah, no, no idea who who pulled all these strings. Maybe it was Bolin. Man, that'd be that'd be something if it came out and Bolin was the one pulling all these strings. Lee but anyway, Bolin has a secret um, European scouting network. Yeah. Right. Uh, I, I'm just I, I'm really impressed that he stuck to his guns on this one. Um, he had, you know, he he seemed to give in to pressure with with Jordan Rhodes, and and in fact, during that Rhodes signing or after the Rhodes signing, he came out and and even said it in one of the fans forum. Everyone wanted me to sign Jordan Rhodes, and and so I did. Now everyone's mad. Well, he overpaid for Rhodes, um, in my opinion. I think I, I share that opinion with many other supporters. And in this case, he stuck to his guns. Uh, his his valuation was. Uh, lower than five million, and and he didn't give in, and he had that five million to spend. Uh, at least it seems like he had that five million to spend if he wanted to, and and he refused. And you know we brought in David Bates, who who Rangers fans call the the Ginger Ramos. Um, <laughs> I did so see that. Um, you know, good to have him around. I, I actually texted a, a friend of mine, big Rangers supporter, uh, and and he he remembers him fondly. You know. My friend's not necessarily the the biggest uh, scout in the soccer field, but uh, anyway, we brought in someone to add some depth. We have um, a formidable, probably four central def- or central backs at this point. And like I said, I, I'm proud of Chancery for sticking to his guns. I would have loved to have Hector back, and I think Hector would have loved to come back. But it's a good bit of business. And with that, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll cover some more Wednesday news for the week and preview our clash with Barnsley on Saturday. We're back with some Wednesday news. And I guess we have to start with the managerial search, which seems pretty quiet this week, James. Has uh, How many wins away is Lee Bowen from just claiming the job for himself? Do you know what's kind of funny, actually, Jeff? I was, I was thinking about this earlier on, and I, I had to go out to get my uh, podcasting beers because I've been away for a few weeks, so my fridge was frighteningly empty before we, uh, we started recording. Really formal, uh, the really formal IPA glass, not the tulip, but the wider-based one. Oh. <laughs> We digress. Um, but I was thinking to myself on my walk to the uh, the brewery, you know what? I'm not really sure we are looking for a manager. It kind of feels like thing. I was thinking, reflecting on the day and the transfers and the window, felt like a club that had kind of got a plan. You know, whoever wrote the plan is still unidentified, but let's call them the recruiting team. Had executed the plan. The coaches are, are kind of getting on with it. We saw some positive signs at the weekend at Reading. No reason not to be confident going into the weekend against Barnsley. And, and in that sort of context, you kind of think, well, okay, the co- the coaching infrastructure is doing its job right now. Um, and in that context, I think, I don't know if Lee Bullen is wins away from the role or whether he's actually in the role. And, and what it made me wonder is, you know, maybe with Chris Hooten not being interested in taking the job for, for reasons which are reasonable, uh, maybe Wednesday are rethinking what the hierarchy of the club looks like. You know, maybe a good window like this might lend them to think more carefully about following the Norwich City model, for example, of bringing in a sporting director a la Stuart Webber and, and a coaching staff that could be built around Lee Bullen. Um, I guess where I'm going with all this is maybe there isn't a rush. Maybe the reason it's quiet is actually because they're thinking. And if that's the case, then I'm I'm okay with that. You know, it's interesting because it was a very 
not just a, a successful transfer window, it's a very cohesive transfer window. You know, if we are playing a 4-3-3, and that's sort of the plan going forward, uh, you know, Jacob Murphy and, and Massimo Luongo are exactly the two players you'd bring in for that system, um, given sort of the, you know, the fitness issues we talked about in the first segment in midfield and, you know, reach not being an ideal fit for that sort of more advanced right wing position. You know, obviously David Bates, they needed more uh, central defense depth anyway but it does seem like there's an actual plan and again as you sort of said whoever you know god knows i'm sure there'll be 16 fan forums between now and christmas and maybe we'll get more insight into it then but it does seem like there's an actual idea here and like i don't you know i i express this concern in sort of the owls america's facebook group you know i don't know if lee bullen is tactically able enough to sort of wind his way through the very long and very grinding 46 games of the championship. But, you know, I don't know that he isn't either is the thing. It's, it's really kind of an, an unknown unknown. You know, he's, he's been with the team forever. He has a ton of, you know, coaching experience, both with the, at the youth levels and as a sort of an assistant coach under a, a variety of managers with very different styles you know, he's always been kept on, you know, it would be completely reasonable that if he wanted to, you know, walk into a, you know, a fairly high level league one coaching job with his CV that he could do it now. So, you know, why can't he, you know, and the other thing too, it's that, you know, this gets overplayed. He knows the fan base, he knows the squad and he loves the team. So Evan, like, what are we really looking for? Oh, I agree. I, I mean, this guy's learned under so many different managers. He's seen so many different styles, um, from from Carlos to to Joss. I mean, those are two very very different types of people. Um, and then his short time under Steve Bruce, um, and obviously even before that, I, I know it's not limited to those three. But you know, just just talking about these last three, he's seen different styles. He's seen. Um, different types of people, what works in, in the dressing room, what doesn't, um, you know, how to get guys fired up, how not to. Um, and, and I think he has his, his own ideas. He's a smart guy. You know, he has his own ideas of, of how to run a team. Um, and, and yeah, I think if we can just give him a chance, uh, to, to prove himself past, you know, a window where, Hey, you're the caretaker. We're looking for, we're actively looking for someone to replace you. Um, just hopefully they've told him at this point, if it's the case, Hey, you're our guy. Um, you know, the plan, go with the plan. Let's see how it works. Um, you know, he, he spent, he spent a while with, with Steve Bruce and I'm sure he hasn't strayed too far away from Bruce's vision of this year's squad. And, you know, James, you mentioned it earlier. Maybe Bruce was actually doing us a favor by, by sending Jacob Murphy over, uh, in a sense, it, it wouldn't shock me if Bruce kind of saw what our squad was missing, even from Newcastle. Um, he saw what our squad was missing and said, you know what, yeah, this is a player you could use. Um, yeah, I know that's an unpopular opinion because we have so much hatred towards Steve Bruce right now. But uh, to get back to the, the original question, yeah, I, I think... I think Bolin should be the guy going forward until he proves that he really can't get a grip on this league. We were going to do uh, two game previews in this segment, both the uh, the Barnsley home game and the League Cup tie with Bury, but that tie has been suspended again because, uh, you know, I feel like... Whenever, whenever this happens, you know, it happened with Blackpool recently. Um, yeah, it happens more than it should sort of in the in the lower leagues of English football. Like, I just keep thinking back to how close Wednesday were to sort of like a winding up order. And, you know, I think Bury's sort of, <laughs> can't believe I'm doing this, more buried in it than Wednesday were. But it's just, it's terrible to see like a, a, a club with the history and sort of the, you know, the long-standing tradition that, that, that Barry does, you know, it's sort of a very much community-oriented club go through this, James. 
I'm, I'm really glad that you said buried, by the way, Jeff, because as <laughs> know, far as I'm concerned, it, it is the town of Bury to the north of Manchester, not the town of Bury. But, um, you know, we, we split pronunciation hairs, and I'm sure there's plenty of people who might be listening in Sheffield who will argue with me about that. Um, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, look, it would probably be a, a bit of a kind of misrepresentation to say that, you know, this is a long and storied history. It's definitely long. I don't know how storied it is. Um, but the the real problem that you know, this portrays, and the same thing is true with what's going on with Bolton and, and, and as you said, other clubs uh, have gone through recently as well, is, you know, Manchester United just signed Harry Maguire for £80 million. Um, you know, this is a guy who, I mean, for goodness sake, he, <laughs> he played for Sheffield United, he's not worth £80 million. Um, he played for Hull City, he's definitely not worth £80 million. Uh, if Man United could just throw off a bit of that cash then Barry could play their playing squad for a year. They could play their they could play their management squad for a year. They could probably build a new stadium. They could probably set up community programs which would sustain the you know the the productivity of um, of the local school network uh, in terms of feeding the next generation of footballers. That's the role that community clubs like Barry play back in the UK. And and it's you know we. There are many members of this podcasting team who, who think that the clubs here in the US should play a similar role in the communities as well. What's wrong in the British system right now is that you have this pyramid effect whereby teams in the Premier League have these unbelievable riches. I mean, you know, look at our near neighbours who got promoted and have spent upwards of 40, 50 million pounds in the last six, seven weeks because they suddenly have access to this 100 million pound payout. A team like Berry just doesn't have access to those resources, and all of a sudden is is going to the wall, and and much more goes to the wall than just the club. You know, it is the spirit of the community, it is the youth system that surrounds it, it is the engagement of, you know, many many more people than those who just turn out week in week out, maybe four or five thousand people to watch the game. So, it isn't right. Um, there's not much Wednesday can do to protect against it. All I hope is that. You know, we're we're obviously not going to play a game next week, but I hope the club do something to show some form of, um, you know, uh, standing alongside Berry because it could have been us. It is them right now, and and I hope we aren't part of the problem. So instead, we'll move on to the match. It will happen on Saturday. Hillsborough at home against Barnsley. And I do just want to say that despite a whole lot of moaning on social media about the away prices, and that's, and that's a separate conversation, and I don't even necessarily disagree, uh, Barnsley sold out their allotment and asked for more. I guess, Evan, at least one of these teams thinks it's a derby. <laughs> I guess so. I, I had a good laugh about that, too. Um, you know, it... Some people just don't understand supply and demand, I suppose. But um, yeah, I, I think James is probably the, the one to talk more about the uh, the geography of these two teams, as he's um, <laughs> probably spent more time in, in Sheffield than I've been alive. So uh, yeah, again, I think it's funny. As I recall, James had a very uh, comprehensive discussion last year on the podcast about how exactly Barnsley is is situated within the greater. Sheffield area, both uh, geographically and spiritually. Uh, yeah, entirely. But but this is a new season, Jeff, and we have a new professional image to upkeep. So um, you'll note that I've gone probably fifty plus minutes on this Says podcast someone without that making made a masturbates pun. But okay, a- any reference to my experience in Reading on the weekend and the uh, the absolute hellhole that that was um, worst away day ever. Um, but no, what I was actually going to say is that, you know... I think about this way, James. You could have put your feet up on the uh, the seat next to you or in front of you or behind you. <laughs> no, I was in the Wednesday end. Oh, it fair was, enough, it yeah. was fully sold out. There was, no, there, was no, there was no space in the Wednesday end. There were about 15,000 empty seats in the home end. But, um, you know, let's, we're, we're no longer in the era of uh, the Isles of Americas knocking crap towns in Britain. We're going to say more power to Barnsley's elbow. They've got a... Um, you know, a uh, an up and coming German manager. They're trying the David Wagner route, probably not the Josla Huke route. Hopefully, for for their sakes, uh, they have some uh, some money behind them. Um, I think before we came on here, Jeff, you were telling us just how much Barnsley has spent in the window. And that four point one million dollars. Remarkable spend for that part of South Yorkshire. Um, and to answer your question, Evan, it's about ten miles north 
east of Sheffield. It's not really, um, it's nothing more than a stone's throw, as we say back home. Uh, but it, it ain't a bar- it ain't a derby. There are two clubs in Sheffield: Wednesday and United. That's a derby. Barnsley's just a local uh, bit of noise. I think we all picked them to go down last week. So of course, naturally, as I said earlier, they beat Fulham one 0 because God bless the championship. Um, I did a little bit of research, and my research was mostly looking at the current squad on Wikipedia, and I recognized exactly two names: uh, Alex Mowat and Luke Thomas. But anyway, as you said, James, they were active on the market. Their uh, average, so two fun facts, their average squad age is 22, which is interesting. Um, and that aforementioned uh, German manager, who's a uh, was a Hanover striker and then uh, coached their youth team and the first team briefly, uh, apparently got punched in the tunnel last year against Fleetwood Town by Joey Barton. It was, it was head-butted. It was head-butted. Um, he, he, was, he was head-butt in the mouth. And evidently lost two teeth. Yeah. And the the reason I know this is because uh, when I looked up the odds for our new manager, <clears throat> he had popped up as uh, Stendhal, excuse me, popped up as like a an an outside shot. And I looked him up, but uh, yeah, Joey Barton had had uh, yeah. had enough of of Daniel Stendhal. I mean, it's a, a rite of passage, really, for any English <laughs> player, manager, referee steward maybe even a fan to get assaulted by joey barton allegedly at some point <laughs> so enough about barnsley uh how would you line up this weekend evan with the with sort of the tweaks to the squad and the window and the preferred formation well i'll tell you what um it's going the least i can say is it's going to be interesting Right, because if you are going to use uh, Murphy in the lineup, there's there's an odd man out, and yeah. it's either Reach, Bannon, Hutch, or, or Kieran Lee, and it's really really tough to take any of those four out. Um, in my opinion, you need to keep Hutch in the lineup uh, at least for right now, because Liam Paul, our our, our outside backs are. Uh, shaky to say the least uh, on the defensive end and so it's really important for us to have that extra defender in Hutch and so I mean maybe with Lee's age and and ailments maybe you you take him out and you play you you stick with this 4-3-3 have Hutch kind of hold still and, and just put reach back a little ways um I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say but it just—it's it, really tough. It, it's not as easy as you think, and it, it's the first time I can think of in a while that we've had this good problem of having to take someone out of our lineup rather than trying to find someone to fit in. I think that because these players haven't had a you know haven't had a preseason with the squad, and we don't know their relative you know fitness levels. I don't know when the Bundesliga two starts, but the. Uh, the regular Bundesliga does start a little later, so I don't know how sort of uh, uh, match-ready Bates is, as one example. I don't know how much, you know, Jacob Murphy was playing in the Premier League Asia Cup or whatever. But it does feel weird, James. It's sort of the first time that Adam Reach does not feel undroppable from this squad. Yeah, it's kind of curious, isn't it? I, I, even after Saturday's match, I wouldn't have said that we would do anything other than play Adam Reach. But with Jacob Murphy in, in play, you're like, yeah, there's an option there. But that look, th- this is how squads thrive, right? When players have to play at their edge in order to retain their place, then you get a little bit more for you know for every position. And I, I think Adam Reach is a phenomenal footballer. I think he I think he will be a mainstay of Wednesday for the next twelve months. I hope we see all the benefits from him that it takes us you know into a position where we might get promoted but um i would much rather have an adam reach who is really having to play at the top of his game to retain his place than an adam reach who's coasting through games and and being a key player but you know scoring a a, an amazing goal against leeds united in october but not really doing anything for two three more games so so we're we're in a good place um i don't think you change the team that won on saturday manifestly again for this weekend uh but i think you've got an incredibly powerful bench let's let's put it this way 
you know, let's say we go with exactly the same starting line at Barkir and Westwood against Barnsley. Um, you know, the bench on Saturday had Lucas Schwau in it. Obviously, that drop he drops away. But you add the players that we signed on loan this week. That's not a bad position to be in, is it? It's not. Yeah, I think I think uh, that that's a good point that you made, Jeff. Is that these guys probably aren't going to be inserted right away? But uh, you know, let's 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 say Murphy's on the bench. We start with the exact same lineup. And at some point, Murphy comes in for Lee, and and Reach moves back into the midfield. Um, you know, that's a lot of pace for a team to deal with uh, after sixty or seventy minutes uh, of playing. And that's sorry, that's with Murphy in the lineup. And then I'd like to see Rhodes get a run out. Um, per- yeah, can, perhaps- can we spend a minute talking about Jordan Rhodes, right? Yeah. Because yeah. The, we, you know, we've gone a whole way through a podcast. We talked about a transfer window. We didn't sell Jordan Rhodes. So now, we, now for the next at least six months, he is a part of our strike force. And we have wingers like Kadeem Harris and like Jacob Murphy and like Adam Reach who can supply balls into the box that he thrives on. That's not a bad position to be in. No, it's not. It's not. And, and I think, you know, if, if we have Rhodes come in for the last 20 and... and Murphy's up there causing havoc on the right side in the last 20 as well or something along those lines. I, th- I think that's a, a pretty a, a pretty solid squad and I- I'm looking forward to it, man. It's just it's so different than what we've been used to and I already mentioned it a little bit, but and just just trying to figure out who the odd man out is rather than filling these spots is just uh, it's a luxury. It, it's, it really is and um, so much credit has to go to you know, Chan Siri and, and our our management team because think about it. A year ago, when when we were in an embargo, we sat here on this podcast talking about the unfortunate truth that we were going to have to sell some of our our greatest assets. Reach was going to have to leave. Bannon might be sold. Forestieri might be sold. All those guys are still on the squad, and and we've only pretty much only gotten rid of dead weight. You know, it, we've we've held on to some of the players that we thought were long gone, and it's just it's nice. It's nice to start a season this way. Just, just to be clear, the the only uh, slight asterisk on that statement, Evan, is that we did also sell Hillsborough. But anyway, and possibly the team itself. <laughs> it it was a very smart and shrewd financial move, and short of getting a betting company to pay eighty percent of the wages of an MLS star, we've uh, we've done pretty well. So, yeah, I completely agree with you. We are we are in a a far ruder state of health than I think a lot of Wednesdayites might have hoped for um, twelve months ago. And frankly, most people possibly could have thought about four weeks ago when we lost Steve Bruce. You know, we we've had a very very healthy window, um, and you know, there's probably no higher testament than an objective viewer from the other side of the city who said that Wednesday probably had one of the best windows of uh, of any championship club. So. Let's uh, let's take that for what it is. Well, if you want to see the fruits of the transfer window this weekend against Barnsley, we have two meetups. Uh, the New York Owls are moving a few blocks south for their family day at Smithfield Hall on West 25th Street. Uh, I'm reliably informed there is a, a special guest there as well, although it is not Jake Gyllenhaal, who Patty is apparently hanging out with rather than doing this podcast. And if you are in the Charleston area at Madurarua Irish Pub in Somerville, South Carolina, we'll also be showing the Wednesday Barnsley game. It's been episode 72 of the Owls Americast. You can find us on the internet at owlsamericas.com. Email the show at owlsamericas at gmail.com. Find and follow us on both Twitter and Instagram at owlsamericas. The Owls AmeriCast all year will be brought to you by Sheffield Wednesday's iFollow live match streaming service. You can now sign up before August 12th. They've extended the early bird discount. You can get that at swfc.co.uk slash iFollow. Our podcast intro and bumpers are by fellow Wednesday's Reverend and the Makers. The podcast is on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Podbeam, probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There's no wrong way to listen to the show. Just do what feels right. 
Wherever you choose to consume the Owls of AmeriCast, we ask you to rate and review the show. It helps more Wednesdayites find our ramblings. Evan is on Twitter, at Ohio Owl. Evan, approximately how many yinglings do you still have left in the fridge? Well, in the fridge, I'm probably sitting on around 15. How, how many yinglings do you have in your house? Let's be honest. Yeah, it, in the house, I have around, I would guess, 50, 50 to 60 yinglings and... You have to include the number of Miller Lights, which is probably double that, probably still 100 Miller Lights. That's an impressive collection of American craft brewing. <laughs> <laughs> if you can call Miller Light a craft brew. Which you cannot. James is on Twitter, at Manhattan Owl. James, you have any last puns for us before we sign off? <laughs> I am devoid of puns. I'm, I'm actually regretting that because I... I... I am genuinely excited about our new signing from the Bundesliga 2, previously of the Scottish Premier League, uh, by way of whatever leagues there are beneath the Scottish Premier League. So I apologise for my juvenile uh, pun earlier on. I am looking forward to seeing David Bates uh, perform his uh, his very best tricks in the championship. Can we please start referring to him as Ginger Ramos, though? I'm on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro, and we'll be less lewd, but probably no less disjointed next week. 